Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast here on Sacred Saturday. I am Joshy Washi, joined as always with my buddy, my pal, my friend, Mr. Brian Arvet, here to talk more video games. But we're not alone. We are not alone in this. This for me, I was just saying before recording, this might be history for me. We got a four-person co-op episode here. This is going to be cool. We got Diente, the hombre back. Did I say that right? Did I get it I'm right? I'm here. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> we got our buddy, Corey, returning. I haven't seen Corey in a while either. What's up, Corey? Hello, hello. Glad to be here. So oh, These guys. The, this the is four player, you said four-player co-op, which means we have to be online only in Halo Infinite to do that. And let's hope that this is more consistent <laughs> than the uh, the four-player co-op. So just, a, just a little dig at Halo. Just a little dig. <laughs> if we were in person, we could pull this off, unlike okay. Halo Infinite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, oh man, that hurts. True, true though. <laughs> but yeah, Deontay, what are we going to be talking about today, buddy? You got you got us on here to talk about a really cool subject. All right, today we're going to be talking about first person shooters, and you guys did an episode on like the evolution of first person shooters. But this one, we're going to do those baby steps uh, to get where we got to today with the first person shooter environment. Sure, that's great. your favorite genre. 
right? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. If you know Diente at all, I mean, first person shooters is this, this guy's thing, right? <laughs> this he's is bread like, and butter, baby. Any gun, any game, he's like, you know, this game would be better if I was holding the gun and it was in first person. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go on, but before we get started, is it? Is it just you like first person games with you know like a shooter game, or is it just as long as it's in first person, even if it's like Skyrim, you you got a sword in your hand, you still like it? Is it just the concept of first person? I still I still like it, but the shooter is my is where I started out, and that's just what I've been passionate about. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Makes since, sense since the beginning. It's where the, it's the, 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 it's the dawn of Diente. <laughs> All right, so kick us off, Diente. Where are we headed first? All right, so there were a couple of shooters uh, in the early in the eighties and early nineties um, that that got started off, but it really got kicked off in nineteen ninety two with Wolfenstein three D. Yeah, uh, a lot of people call this the grandfather of uh, first person shooters. Um, it's not the first game in first person, but it's one of the first ones where you had the gun visible. First one that mattered. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder. And uh, so I. This came out in 1992. I was like six years old, and uh, I had an older brother. Really bad influence on me. Let me play it. Um, but <laughs> we got into it, and uh, it was fun. I didn't realize anything crazy with it, but, I mean, we got to go around and, and shoot Nazis. Yes, so yeah. It's always a good time, man. Always a good time. <laughs> yeah, so who, who all here has completed Wolfenstein 3D? I've never beat it myself. I've never beat it. No I've one here. It. No one here. We should yeah. ask that for every game. <laughs> yeah. See, my my exposure, my exposure to Wolfenstein 3D primarily first came when you know I grew up with uh, the uh, Doom One and Doom Two for PC, and I'm sure most, if not all, of you know that there's a couple secret levels at the end of Doom. I don't know if it was Doom One or Doom Two. A couple secret levels, and it was you can play through Doom. You can play through Wolfenstein 3D levels in Doom. So, like, the Wolfenstein enemies and the yeah. Wolfenstein level was there, but you were controlling the Doom guy with the Doom mechanics and stuff. So that was my first exposure. Tried to go back, because I beat Doom 1 and Doom 2 a million times, but I tried to go back and beat Wolfenstein 3D, and it just felt a little too archaic for me. It didn't really hold my attention, so I've never actually made my way through it. Doom's just such a huge improvement, um, but obviously uh, very important, and it's clear that it was the, the predecessor to what became Doom. So, yeah. I never... Uh, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Deontay. I was, I was gonna say I agree. The I went back and played it because um, they have it on 360 and it's backwards yep. compatible, and the environments are pretty bland. Yeah, um, just brick walls and I mean, of course, you got swastikas and everything mm-hmm. everywhere in the in the eagle. And then, on I, when I went back and played it, I realized it's really anti-German. <laughs> like, huh. you got those, you got those, you got the guys that you know shot in the German things, but then the dogs come at you and they're German shepherds. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, it reminded me of Paw Patrol. Uh, my kid's favorite pup is the is Chase, and he's a German shepherd. I was like, no, not I'm killing the, Chase, not a Wolfenstein dog. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember these. Um, I guess they were just like, I mean, not Nazis. I guess like the the blue the guys in the blue suits. Um, that were in, like, an enemy in Wolfenstein 3D. I remember every time uh, they would come out, they'd always say, I don't know what they were actually saying, but it sounded like they were saying, who's doubles, who's doubles, who's doubles, who's doubles? <laughs> and I'd shoot them and kill them, and then the next one would come around the corner, who's doubles, who's doubles? I don't even know what they're trying to say, but who's doubles is what Brian I Brian and I have talked a lot about, like, our, our parents having played games when we were younger and stuff like that, and I'm pretty sure this was the specific Wolfenstein game that my dad was playing in our computer room, back when a computer room was a thing, and 
my mom has told me that she would hear my dad swear well across the room the house she would hear him yelling and screaming talking trash at uh the enemies in this game i guess because it was just so much fun hilarious yeah so i'm pretty sure this is just a german shepherd and your dad screaming from the other room you little bitch (laughs) yeah so i've always had this uh fondness for the game even though i think the only (laughs) time i played it is in that in that doom 2016 but yeah pretty cool though i mean that's where it got start Corey, you have any experiences with it, or are we moving on? I had the same exposure to it that you did, which was through like late levels while yeah. playing Doom, early Doom. Um, I was a big Doom 1 fan. I didn't play a whole lot of Doom 2. I just didn't really have access to it at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but then going back to it, especially if you try to go back to it now, it really doesn't hold up because of those bland levels, the just maze-like nature of it. Yeah, um, Just through sheer... Uh, distinction of the levels in the rooms and stuff and, and having um, kind of like icons to, to ground yourself made doom so much better to yep. walk around and just find your way through the levels. Yeah. It really, Wolfenstein 3d really reeks of that like rudimentary uh, first early 3d games for PC. Like a lot of those, like those dungeon crawlers and stuff where mm-hmm. it's like first person. And there was a lot of those. And, and it was one of those things where it was so cool at the time because of how immersive the first person and the 3d was, but all of them share that common, like blandness squares, gray yeah. flat panels. And it, it really, yeah, it's hard to immerse yourself in that, especially when we've come so far. So yeah, almost fe- feels like a prototype in hindsight. It does. It does. All right. Dan, they take us, uh, take, take us forward. All right, so then we got 1993, just a year later, and that's when Doom came out. And uh, one of the goats, it really improved everything. Yeah. Um, just it's even. I mean, some of the graphics are kind of like um, it's kind of blocky right now, but it's 1993, and it's the environments are so much more immersive than Wolfenstein 3D, and the enemies are so much better. The lighting, and, uh, the sound, yeah, yeah, everything. Just such a vast improvement over a year. This is one of the the first games I can ever maybe it might be the first game I ever remember seeing and like desperately wanting to play. I I, I went over to my uh, aunt and uncle's house and they had a computer room and my dad and my uncle and a bunch of other guys were all gathered around the computer, all just falling <laughs> over story. this game. And I would sneak in the room and look at it and they were all playing Doom and just like all switching off playing Doom and I'm like. Man, that game looks amazing. And then it was like not too long after we got a copy at our, on our computer and started playing. I, I actually, I think I might have first played it myself through the PS1 port. But obviously, Doom's been ported to everything. There's so many opportunities to play it. But like, this is one of those games where it's probably impossible for me to remove my nostalgia and bias because to me, and I think I honestly think most people would actually agree with me. But to me, this is one of the all-time greats. It, it's it's one of the best shooters ever. And to me, it still holds up to play in 2023. Just the way it was designed is timeless. Um, I think the biggest detractor for people who've like never played it are going to be the oh wait you you don't look up and down to shoot your weapon because <laughs> like for those of you who don't know, which probably most all of you listening do. Uh, Doom doesn't have up and down playing fields for you to like move the weapon. Like it focused on you just being able to shoot and move quickly, but there was no probably probably a better term I could be using axis of or vertical horizontal you know mixture of axis. So right. what it would do is if you walk into a room and you have an enemy on the bottom floor and you have an enemy on the top floor, whichever one you're aiming closest to is the one it would shoot. So it's really easy to shoot enemies above you, but you still have to be aiming in their general direction and it just kind of auto shot upwards. But uh, what about uh, what about you, uh, Corey? 
Yeah, I was, I was just going to say it's it's the camera is essentially like fixed on one plane, and you just yeah. aim or you just line up horizontally whatever target you want to shoot at. Um, <clears throat> just like you, I cannot remove my nostalgia for this game when talking about it. My first exposure to it was some kid on the bus at school gave my brother a floppy disk uh, that had it on. Oh it. wow! And I gave that to my friend uh, Chris, who had a computer that could run it. And I remember getting off the bus, jumping on my bike, and then following the bus to his house so we could pop this thing in and play it. That's awesome. And for the longest time, thought that that demo disc that went around, that one floppy, which I I know they released early and found this out years later, that they Mm -hmm. had done that on purpose, put it out as like essentially a free demo. So you could buy the rest. Yeah. Yeah, So you could buy the rest. I didn't know there was uh, the rest. I thought that that was the end of the game. I (laughs) beat it. And I was like, this is the best fucking game ever. Yeah. (laughs) And so I remember going home and we had a computer that my dad used for work in the computer room, you know, like Josh was saying. And uh, it did not have a sound card. And it ran at about three to four frames per second. So just (laughs) hold down the trigger. Yeah, painfully (laughs) slow. But I would, and no music, no sound. So I would put in Metallica's Black album with my little portable CD player and put the headphones on and just blast Metallica in the dark, playing four frames a second Doom for hours. And it was awesome. And it was dedication. Yeah, the the nostalgia, the memories. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Like that's just such a the things we did like that. That were so dumb. I, I remember. Uh, when I was younger, my parents had an old computer they let me put in my bedroom because it was garbage pretty much to them. And I was like, can I put it in my bedroom? And they're like, it's, it's an old computer, Brian. What do you want to do with it? I'm like, I just want it. I want it. You know, so they gave me this old computer and it had no speakers. It had no way to listen to, 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 you know, to music or sound. And I was playing Diablo two on it. I got the computer to play Diablo two. And obviously I'm a kid. I have no money to buy computer speakers or whatever, but it did have like a headphone port for headphones. Um, so what I did was I had, we had a karaoke machine in our house. And I hooked the karaoke machine. How did I do this? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I plugged headphones into the computer, and then I let the headphones hang down behind the computer desk. And then I plugged the karaoke machine in next to the computer, and the mic that you would sing into the karaoke, I put it between the earbuds of the headphones so that I would have full, loud bedroom computer audio. I'm through full immersion. Headphones going through a karaoke machine. Bozy ain't got nothing yeah. on you, Brian. <laughs> but it was <laughs> awesome. I, I just yep. felt I felt like a genius, you know? But, uh, yeah, so Josh, you don't have much experience with this? With no, this? I've never really played it, so I was just going to ask for you guys that played it back in the day, was it a genuinely, like, scary game to play in that immersive sense, or Spooky. not really? Spooky? They're not necessarily scary. There were a couple times where the lights would go out and a bunch of, mo- like, monster closet doors would open. Sure. But for me, I'm like, oh, it's dark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a monster closet. Yeah. You're waiting so long, yeah. That's funny. I remember... Any moment now. I remember one one thing about the game that used to terrify my brother, and of course I would purposely do it just to terrify him. Uh, if you shot... I think you have to have like full health or something around full health. If you shot a rocket at the wall and you paused the game right when the rocket was inflicting damage on him, it would. They had like a. I don't know if it was intentional or just something weird we were doing. There was a special animation for the Doom guy's face that was like his whole jaw would go open and his eyes would go wide and he'd scream ah because he's just getting <laughs> he's just suffering like ninety damage at once. And if I did that and paused it, it would terrify my brother and he'd run screaming. So I would do it <laughs> all the time. 
Was it like was it like Bilbo's face in Fellowship for that brief moment? Yeah, dude, it actually kind of was like that. It was just because it was just really weird because like that animation, you never saw it unless I think it. I think it must have been like you had to inflict an insane amount of damage at one time, and then it was so quick, you usually didn't see it. But I paused it so his face would just stay there suspended, like. No. Was it like that close-up of Robin Williams in one-hour photo? It was also like yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> and it was like that front of that National Geographic magazine that I also used to scare crazy. Oh, yeah, so, I remember that story. Yeah. But, I love that the, the community were like, we got to find this cover and we did, yeah, right yeah. after the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was fun. But over to you, Dante, if you want to say any... Uh, you're, you're muted, uh, Corey. You want to say something? Oh, okay, he's good. <laughs> uh, Dante, over to you if uh, you want to say more about Doom or take us forward either way. Uh, so with Doom, I, I played it when I was little. Um, figured out the cheat codes real quick. IDDQ, IDKFA. Yep. And oh, never when forget I was em. younger, that's what I, how wow. I played it. <laughs> ID then, clip. Uh, ID clip. Most impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now uh, I came back and played it all the way through this year. Uh, such a great game. Um, definitely recommend it. It's yeah, it's but, it's an amazing game, dude. It's legendary. You know, I have a really cool story <laughs> about the cheat codes. So we always knew there was cheat codes. We, I don't, we probably had the internet, but back in the day, like if you want to look up a cheat code, it was like, okay, get get mom off the phone, plug in the dial up cord, connect to AOL, wait for it to load a cheat page. Hopefully, the cheat's right. Like it was a big endeavor, look up cheat codes. So we, we probably could have looked them up on the internet, but we never did. But we we knew those cheat codes for Doom, but we didn't know what they were. My dad was like, yeah, we used to use cheat codes for, but I can't remember what they were. I remember we went to a Christmas party, and my dad asked my uncle, do you remember what the God Mode code was? And he goes, I think it was like. ADKFA or something, which that wasn't the God Mode code. That was the all weapons, all keys. And so we got, so I was like, when I heard my uncle say that, I was like, oh my gosh, I wrote it down. When I get back home, I'm like ready for God Mode and I put it in and it's not God Mode, but I'm like, okay, I have all the weapons, full ammo, key cards. This is still pretty dope. Eventually we found out God Mode, but uh, yeah, just a really cool time. Now that would be a DLC you got to pay for. So. <laughs> right. I do miss the days of cheat codes. I used to go to our local mom and pop shops and I'd get these big like Game Shark books that just yeah. were like thick filled with cheat codes for games I didn't even own. But for me I was like, well, if I ever get it, I got I got myself covered. You know what always surprises me is like every time I would look up cheat codes as a kid, a lot of times I'd end up at Cheat Code Central. And obviously since you cheat see, codes they've... since cheat codes kind of ended, I don't frequent that site anymore. I haven't in twenty years or whatever. But uh, if you go to, like, Metacritic and you're looking at game reviews, Cheat Code Central is on there. Like, they get to review games and they're, Glad, they're part man. of Metacritic. Yeah. So, like, okay. Part of my childhood. Yeah. We didn't have the internet until I got, uh, probably around the time I got a PlayStation 1 and a 64. But I remember looking up cheat codes by riding my bike to Walmart and taking a notepad into the game section and pulling down the guides and flipping through it and writing them down. Oh, going Mark, back home and go. punching it in. That's awesome. <laughs> Organically done, man. That's, awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's very good. Yeah, I never. Sometimes people would tell you about codes like on the playgrounds. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, this is one I need to find for this game, and then it was like, I don't know, treasure hunt almost. Yeah. No, I remember there was a code for Crash Team Racing that would give you, like, extra characters. And for some reason, I just couldn't get it. Like, this guy kept telling me the code, and I kept couldn't put it in right. Or Sometimes those codes were like, pause and hold both triggers and then hit these and make sure you hit these fast enough or whatever. And uh, so he just gave me his memory card with the cheat code already on it, and I just copied the save file mm-hmm. over, and that was a really cool time. <laughs> but All right, take it for Diente. I'm guessing it's yeah, Doom 2. Doom 2, 1994, one year later, Doom 2, and also Marathon Bungie. Mm. Or Marathon by Bungie, sorry. Marathon yeah. Bungie. Marathon Bungie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, it's, it's interesting. Doom 2, like, for most of my life, I thought of it as a full-fledged, proper sequel. But probably in the last five or plus years, I, I've, I've kind of just realized that that game was really just a... Uh, it was like a map pack almost, you know? Because, like, I mean, it was, it, it was a sequel. I'm not going to take that away from it. And it was definitely worthy of the price. But, like, it was the same game. It was the same graphics. It was the same... They, they added a double-barreled shotgun, and then they added a whole bunch of new levels, you know, and of course back then the story was didn't really matter. Um, but Doom 2 is actually my favorite Doom game of all time. Probably a weird take a little bit, because I think most people either go Doom, the new Dooms, or the original Doom. I think original Doom had way better uh, level design than Doom 2, and obviously it was a bigger cultural milestone, but Doom 2 what I liked about it was they got crazy with the levels, right? Like Doom 2, you got levels where it's like, oh, we decided we were just going to put these four random panels up here and each one's got an enemy behind it and you got to you gotta pick one and the enemy's going to get you and then, oh, there's a weird teleport pad here. Like they'd have levels where you'd start off and you're just in the center of a room and you have like uh, doors all around you and you got to pick which door to go through. Like they started getting really funky with the level design because they kind of exhausted the normal ideas for the first game, and plus the double barrel shotgun is absolutely legendary. So this is my favorite Doom game of all time. Um, I love the whole icon of Sin thing at the end. I thought that was incredible. Seeing John Romero's head uh, behind the demon skull was just like insane. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's my favorite Doom. Uh, it, I think I think most people would, I think most hardcore Doom fans would say the level design let them down on this one. But I thought it was interesting. Over to you guys. I'll just say I've never played Doom 2. Uh, I'll talk more about Marathon in a moment, but yeah, I've never played Doom 2 either. I missed out on the OGs, man. I really, really did. I don't think I ever really heard about Doom games until Doom 3 was coming out, and then uh, The Rock had the, his, his his movie coming out with Carl Urban, and The Rock was talking about playing like the first few Doom games in college or some shit like that, and I was like, oh, that was a thing. Okay. This is based off a video game. Okay, that's how I learned about it. But uh, yeah, I know, crazy, crazy to think about. I was it's crazy because like you guys Nintendo are side. all of you guys are you know several years older than me. And mm-hmm. but to Josh, you, you kind of missed. Yeah, them, well, but. I just I went from. I mean, I won't go into it too much, but I went from like Nintendo. I think I had like a Sega Game Gear next. I had a Sega Saturn, and then it was like right into PlayStation One, and then pretty much have been straight through since then. But I had that big gap where I was I wasn't really I didn't play a whole lot of PC games. We'll get into that shortly in a moment, but. Uh, yeah, I just I kind of missed out on a big window of that stuff, but I think Doom probably would have scared the shit out of me as a kid. I was, I, I was gonna say I didn't I didn't mention my exposure to, Mar- to Marathon. If I'm being completely honest, I didn't know Marathon existed until after I was a Halo fan, and then once yep. I was, I was like, oh wait, a Doom clone that's based off the guys who made my favorite game of all time, uh, Halo. This has got to be awesome. So I remember downloading the Xbox Arcade one and uh, just thinking, eh, feels like shit five Doom minutes to me. if even and that. That's not yeah, fair. Yeah, I was like, I don't like it. I'm going to no, go I'm back like, and play Halo. It just feels like it doesn't feel as good as Halo or Doom, so I'm like, nah. But I think I probably would really appreciate them and like them if I gave them the time of day. But I don't know. There was there was a time for that where I would like really – like when I was a huge Halo fan and Bungie was still making Halos, that was the time for me to deep dive in a marathon. But now with them being in Destiny and 343 being Halo, I, I probably – I don't I can't know believe, them, so. I can't believe that we're talking about – we're, we're living in a time when we can talk about uh, the original marathon and know that a, a new version is coming out. And I it's could not care seemingly nothing for it. like it. Yeah, the big old nothing burger for me. Yeah. <laughs> but Over anyway, you, what, what about you guys with uh, Doom? Uh, and, uh, D- Doom Two, just like you said, Brian, the, the level design kind of let me down because I would just get lost a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, found that frustrating. And um, 
for Marathon, it was the same thing. I didn't know about that until kind of the lead up to Halo 2 and learning more and more about Bungie. Because yeah. one of the things you would hear a lot of is, oh, it's going to, you know, the game's delayed, but Halo 2 is going to be great because Bungie is such a great developer. And I'm like, well, Halo is the only game of theirs I ever played. So yeah. you know, I went back. I played Oni, and I was very unimpressed with that. I tried yeah. playing Marathon on a Mac uh, probably around like 2002, 2003, and also just not into it. Like, it, it is like, you know, shitty doom. And I'm trying to look at it going back and putting myself in the shoes of that kid who's playing doom with no sound card and being like, you know, this is a comparable experience, but the level design, the art, like just nothing about it really spoke to me and playing the 360 port. I was like, that'll have good modern first person controls and I'll probably be more into it. And same thing. I just bounced off of it immediately. I think it has some, I think it has something to do with, I mean, would, would Bungie have been made as big of a name for itself if they hadn't been the best version of doom on Mac? I mean that was Mac's version of yeah, you couldn't were, play Doom on Mac. So they were like the rare for Macintosh, right? They just yeah. had a lot of hits and they were the only one that was making exclusives in that space. Um so they had a fan base regardless almost. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Diente? I play I haven't played all the way through Doom Two yet. Uh, I plan on finishing it this year. Uh, I played through the first chapter and I I enjoyed it. Um, definitely like getting the super shotgun yeah. on like the first, the first or third level, something like that, and then the new enemies and everything. Um, it, it's fun. Marathon, I didn't figure out about until this year. Oh wow! Or last like late last year. Oh, uh, I went back and played the Durandale um, on through backward compatibility on Xbox, and I was also not very impressed. Yeah, um, like you said, it felt like Doom, but not as good as Doom. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some animations that could have improved, but it, it was the quintessential shooter for Mac. So Yeah, I mean, it's it's, got it. it's easy to be like, oh, if these people made this thing, I'll probably love this other thing, but there's just way too many factors and too much nuance for that to be the case. I mean, we, we know that Halo Combat Evolved was really a product of a bunch of moving parts, right? Like, I mean, that game was... Right. RTS, and then it was third person, and it was acquired by Xbox, and then it was first person, and then it was like, I'm pretty sure the version of Combat Evolved we got was like a year development. Like, obviously, they had all the development prior with the RTS and third person stuff. Like, it wasn't like only it took a year to make Halo, but like, the the type of Halo we ended up getting was like one year to the finish line, and I mean, even with Combat Evolved being such a great game, I mean, that game's got so many reused assets and flipped levels, and it's clear that it was like, get this thing done. And I think just a bunch of right time, right place, you know, the Xbox, the the shift to first person with the proper controller and the proper system and coming off of GoldenEye and it just a perfect storm. But uh, that's getting ahead. But anyways, that's uh, oh, back to you, Deante. All right. So we got 1995 and uh, that's a few more games came out. One of the highlights was Dark Forces. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I know that's one of Josh's favorites. Oh, yeah. All over the word him. Hoorah, man. I love this game. So <laughs> I, I have this. Uh, I'm sure you guys can relate to this at some point in time or another. But, like, when I was little, there was a brief period where I had, a, like, in between, like, my original Nintendo era going into, like, Game Gear and Sega Saturn where I had a stint with PC stuff. And it was namely through Star Wars. I got this. I can't remember how I came by it. But I had this big, back when PC boxes were so bulky and everything, had this big box of Star Wars games. And it was like one of those things where it was like you open it and you could just see all the discs that were like inside. And it 
Yeah, it was like Rebel Assault 2, I think, Yoda Stories, and I think one other, maybe, and, and Dark Forces. And there was just this point where it was like, aside so many options, that I was like, well, I'll try a little bit of everything and see which one sticks. And Dark Forces was the one that stuck. And I love it. It's, I mean, if, if someone's never played it, it nowadays would be like an alternative version of the Rogue One story. You play as Kyle Katarn, and you are trying to steal the plans for the Death Star, but then you get swept up in a lot of uh, mystery and intrigue with uh, the Dark Trooper project, which you've seen kind of brought back into canon with Mandalorian and stuff. Uh, it was just very, very fun. I mean, I love this as a Star Wars fan, but this was my first introduction to that type of Dune game. Uh, Doom, I said Dune. Wow. Uh, the Quizach had a wreck returns, but uh, <laughs> the Doom type of formula, and I loved it. I had a lot of fun with that game. It had that like eight bit type of Star Wars music constantly looping in the background, and trying to you know run around and find a key that I needed to open up this door or something like that. That was my first experience with a lot of that stuff. But uh, as a Star Wars fan, I, I felt like I was eating good, and it made me uh, care. It was the first time I ever really took an interest in a character in the expanded universe just because he had some dialogue in the cutscenes and stuff. So <laughs> I, I really loved it personally. Yeah, it was great. And that's one of the great things was the sound effects it added. Um, every time I hear them, it just brings me back to those days Yeah, uh, playing Dark Forces on the computer and uh, eventually PlayStation 1 when they ported it over there. Yep. Uh, the sound effects, the talking, the voices... You could look up and down on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you could in, in in marathon, but it was. I mean, this one had a little bit smoother up and down movement. But uh, Dark Forces did it first. That, it was just. It was an immersive experience in in Star Wars, and I couldn't get enough of Star Wars at the time either. Oh, so. dude, yeah, it I love the theme, that, the eight bit, like da, 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 I was like, ah, I'm there. It was so much fun <laughs> in a just time when when you didn't have the prequels out just yet. In the '90s, like especially the mid '90s, were such a good period for Star Wars. Uh, that was just that was great, great time for that to come out. Go ahead, Brian. No, I just goes to show the path we were on with with first person shooters, right? Like the conversation we're having at this point is like it lets you look up and down a little smoother than the last one that lets you look up and down. Like that's why when and I know this this episode's not about Halo specifically, but that's that's when like when Halo arrived, it's like okay, now this makes sense for real. You know, like this was so <laughs> not to diminish these games. I mean, obviously like Doom and, and classics and people things people love like uh, Dark Forces, but. We were we were working through some serious issues to get to where a first person shooter really felt like it had it all together. Uh, as far as Dark Forces goes, I've never played it. I know little about it. I just I've always seen it as the the Star Wars Doom clone. That doesn't take anything away from it. I just I don't have any experience with it. But uh, over to you, Corey. Yeah, this is also one that I did not play. Um, while the whole Doom PC low frame rate game was going on. I definitely remember that Trapper Keeper of games for sale at Walmart. Yeah. I would go in there to steal my cheat codes. Or uh, one game I remember, like, riding my bike to the store and buying, and it was a choice between Dark Forces and Titanic Adventure Out of Time, <clears throat> which totally holds up as an adventure game, by the way. I highly recommend it if you have any interest in that boat I at played all. it. The game, that game's creepy to me. I don't know why it, it it's is, creepy. It is genuinely, like, unsettling in a way. Um, yes, <laughs> I really, really love that game, but that was the one I chose because I could not run Dark Forces. I knew it would be another ah. mess. Um, but with any Star Wars game, those licensed like sound effects, like you were talking about, you know, the sound of the blaster, the sound of a lightsaber, queuing, uh, yeah. they just immediately suck you in because it's such a rich universe, even when you only had that original trilogy. Um, 
I remember my friends playing it and being jealous because it just looked like a super cool Star Wars game. That was better than the Super Nintendo Star Wars games, which were hard as balls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, I, I don't mean to cut in right now. I'm watching like a part of this from that Titanic Adventure Out of Time game, and their mouths are just moving. This shit's creepy as fuck. If I was playing this in my room at like a, like 10 p.m. at night as a kid, I wouldn't. I couldn't do it's it. It's scary, bro. That's and the, the rooms were like atmospheric and dark, and yeah, like the dining room is dimly lit. There's no one in there because it's yeah. not time to eat yet. And like you're just wandering around <laughs> no. that boat, it's real. It's a first person game too. You don't it have wasn't a gun. marketed it, as a horror game, but it was. <laughs> it reminds me. There was this game. I'll just say this real quick. There was this game made by Acclaim. It was a like I think WWF Attitude. I can't remember, but. It had these weird like cutscenes at times that were kind of like framed like this, but like with the graphics of the time. And I just remember there was this. I never played much of the game because it would sometimes randomly go into this cutscene where it's supposed to get like you're. It, it is. It's as if you're walking up to someone's limo and the door opens up and you get in. And I would get so terrified that I would just shut the game off. If it got to that cutscene, I'd shut it off. My sister had this like. I remember this um, like stop motion used to creep me out as a kid, and I remember my sister had this Barbie VHS tape, and it was like a stop motion Barbie moving. I was so terrified that I turned it off immediately. <laughs> I get, I dude, I would get scared at anything. But yet you the ranking flashbacks during the Barbie movie, Josh. Uh, thank, thankfully, no, there was no stop motion like that. <laughs> thankfully, no. But what if you were uh, watching Barbie and you looked down and there was just a Barbie doll standing on the floor looking. Oh, I scream. I'd scream. I'd scream. I don't even think I'd run, but it'd be like that kind of static fear where you're just like, it's like Glenn Close and Mars attacks when the chandelier falls on her. She doesn't move. It's like, get the fuck out of the way. But she just stands there. You know, just stuck. I wonder if there's a Barbie Doom clone out there. I feel like there's a Doom clone. There's got to be. Well, there's got to be now. absolutely has to be. Yeah. I would love that. Anyway, I didn't mean to deviate, guys. Back to you, Deontay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, So then you got 1996. Um, Ooh, this is where the movement starts to improve. Yeah, uh, you got Duke Nukem 3D, you got Quake, um, and several others. Uh, as far as Duke Nukem, my experience I played it pretty much right after it came out. It's it's not really. I mean, it's kind of a Doom clone, but the, 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 you got Duke Nukem, who's a, a trash talking, um, deep voiced <laughs> kind of asshole. Um, you go around and you, you kick aliens and you, you give money to strippers and. Uh, that, that was pretty much Duke Duke Nukem for me. What about, I love what the about notion Quake? on these, Quake? by the way. <laughs> uh, Quake, I hadn't I'd hadn't played Quake back then. I went back and played it now, and it's really fun. Um, the the movements really fluid, and uh, the medieval setting's really cool. Yeah, dude. Um, see, Duke Nukem, like it's definitely in a sense uh, a Doom clone, but I, I give Duke Nukem more credit because it did push that type of game forward in a sense it, it made the main character an actual character it added comedy uh voice acting to an extent um it, you know it, it was switches light switches toilet, like you could flush strippers yeah, it, that you could pay there, there's there's a reason that um i mean i know duke nukem pretty much has a bad name today because you know duke nukem forever was like this 10-year project and it wasn't that great of a game but like back at the time it was there there was a conversation of like are you a doom fan or are you a duke nukem fan and like it wasn't crazy to say you like Duke Nukem more because it did certain things better than Doom. Now I wouldn't say overall, but like it was a uh, it, it was worthy of being more than than a Doom clone. I would say, um, but for me, I never got too far in Duke Nukem because I think I mean for me it was like I played it and I'd be like, oh this the shit he's saying is so funny, but like I just want to go back and play Doom. So I never really got far in Duke Nukem. Um, and then Quake, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, 
if they if id reboots quake now after doom eternal i'm going to be so stoked with a with a, a single player uh, quake experience again quake one is it's just a, it's an amazing game it's it's so replayable to me i can replay it right now i've played it so many times it's it feels like doom in its dna but it's it's not a doom clone it's now this full 3d you know full range of motion uh game and then it's got you know it's got better shooting mechanics obviously all those things and then it has this medieval vibe where it's like you're using weapons but you're fighting like demonic knights and and stuff like that and you're like going through a castle um it really just feels like the next evolution like evolution like proper step for doom i mean it could they could have made it a doom game and it would have probably played and looked very familiar very similar to what Quake ultimately ended up being, but um, yeah, Quake's a classic, and obviously Quake's you know as it began to go online and people did death matches and stuff like that was the future, right? And then also the Quake engine went on to power so many games and and inno- help other games innovate and move the industry forward with the Quake engine. So uh, Quake's a super important game. Also, the last game, to my knowledge, I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The last game John Romero had any input on at id software was uh, was quake so over to you guys i did not play this one um at the time i i will say though this is the first time that i can recall the whole kind of console versus pc split mm-hmm. where if you didn't have the hardware to run quake uh, but you were excited for things like goldeneye coming next year uh, or if you wanted to play doom 64 which was still sprite based yeah. Um, and, you know, coming later. Um, yeah, that was where the kind of like elitist attitude started for me. Also, you had teenagers who were like able to have their own computers at the time um, for me when I was growing up. But uh, I was totally into the Mario 64 happenings at the moment. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, too, because technically Quake 1 and Quake 2 came to Nintendo 64 where you had Doom 64, the thing was, but that still added to the fire, though, right? Because Quake 1 and Quake 2 had things cut from it to mm-hmm. make it playable, so it was just this, an inferior experience. Movement was a nightmare, too, on yeah. 64. 64, I mean, you had that freaking one analog. <laughs> I mean, it was just... Wow. Like, actually, my... Sucks, the PC elitists, they had a good point. You know, when it came to, like, movement and yeah. all that, it, they had a, a very, very valid point. Where it, it's, it's funny that you bring that up, because it's like, today... You know, I, I think PC enthusiasts would probably say they have a very valid point today, but today it's usually like, oh, you get to play this brand new, amazing fidelity game at 30 frames 4K on your console. I'm playing it at 120 frames 4K or, or, or higher. And it's like, yeah, that's better, but like, we're still both playing an amazing game that runs great at high fidelity, and I'm playing it for like one fifth or more of the, of the price that you are. Um, whereas back then it was like, oh, um, this guy, like, for instance, like I, my first experience with Quake was actually Quake 2 on the PS1 and Quake 2 on the PS1. I, I'm sure everyone here knows this, but a lot of listeners might know this, might not know this, but, um, they used to just make different versions of the game for the consoles. Like, I'm not saying like, for instance, like Quake 2 for PS1, it wasn't just, oh, it's Quake 2 from the PC with lower settings. No, like the game had different levels, like, 
they removed levels from the PC version, and then a different third-party developer created new levels that could fit better to the PS1 hardware. And then you go over to the N64, and the N64 version of Quake 2 would have different levels than the PS1 version did and the PC version. And But then it would also share similarities where there'd be like, there'd be this one level that was in all three versions. So it's like everyone remembers that level, but then, or maybe that level would be the last level for this console, but it would be the, you know, the fifth to last level in another. They would just, it was just crazy, the, the stuff they would do. So back then it was like a real issue of like, wow, you're getting a vastly superior version of the PC, um, where now it's just, oh, it's, what's the frames? What's the resolution? You know? Yeah, this is when games would come out on multiple platforms and the review scores for those different platforms would range from like 50 to 90 depending yeah. on which console you There are were. different games, technically. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Josh, did you have any experience uh, with Quake? You played, you I've bought it, played, but you didn't play it. Right? I've never played the Quaker Oats, but uh, the little experience I've had with Duke Nukem has always been pretty fun. My dad, I was, I must have been playing or something at the time, and my dad was like, what are you doing? I'm like, playing. My dad's like, come in here real quick. So calls me into the computer room, and it was one of those lines that Duke Nukem where he's like, you know, I'm going to rip off your head and shit down your neck. And it kid me at the time that was like watching Rugrats and stuff like that. I was like, awesome. You know, it was just like I'd never heard something like that or had that type of exposure to that type of language. And uh, it, it, I, I think that's where I had my I, my Bart Simpson era began was after hearing stuff Did like that. you start that. pondering like how would it, what would it be like to rip off someone's head and shit down their throat? How does that work? <laughs> I don't even think I thought about it. It just sounded so cool. And this, yeah. you see this guy with glasses and that 90s like buzz cut. Uh, almost had like I, that was such a thing in the nineties. I remember like Guile from Street Fighter and stuff like that. Although his is way out, but uh, yeah, yeah, not Buzz Cut, but you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, I've always had an affinity for Duke Nukem, and obviously, I don't think it works as well in today's times. I hope there's some way they can find a way to make that happen. Like, but uh, I would like to see him come back. But uh, this is where it started, and I mean, I, I always thought the game looked cool. Out of between. Dark Forces and in uh, this, those were the first-person games that had me excited. Just because you had Star Wars, and then you had this exaggerated, like sense of humor with this guy that was so extreme. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, even though I didn't have exposure to Doom or Quake really around that time, I think if you had put all those in a room together, and I'm looking at footage of them, it's I still probably would have been interested in the uh, the aforementioned ones, just because. They had something different attached to it, whereas Doom and Quake sort of like medieval horror, just like gruesome horror. Sci-fi but, horror. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. No, awesome stuff. Over to you, Dante. Yeah, one of the cool things about that the Duke Nukem introduced also, it had semi-destructible environments. Um, you could blow up tanks and, and make holes in walls. Um, it was very limited in its scope, but yeah. um, it was definitely cool to see. Uh, environmental destruction. Yeah, it was someone who did something, someone, like I said, someone who did something different than just copied Doom. So I appreciated right. that. You know, before we move on real quick, I'm pretty sure this is, it's not in the notes, but I'm pretty sure this was the year that Chex Quest came out. The best Doom game of all time. You know? It's it's amazing. Has anybody <laughs> here played Chex Quest? <laughs> anybody? I have not. Uh, have you played also, it, Corey? Also, I have not, no. I'll have to go fuck myself. <laughs> I'm all alone in this. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> People let me know if you played that. Anyway, we you know the new clones were rampant when your cereal has a version. Oh, man. <laughs> I went over to a neighbor's to play Chex Quest, bro, and I was beating, like, aliens down with a spoon. Like, bla- 
Corey's over here. Corey's <laughs> over here with like a floppy disk of the original Doom, like at his buddy's house, experiencing one of the all-time greats, and you're next door playing freaking. Well, Chex I, I'll say this: while we're on the subject of it, I mean, when I by the time I'm playing Chex Quest, this is like the third first-person shooter I played, and it was all PC stuff at the time. Still, it was. I mean, there was clearly something there. Like I can look at the DNA of my love for Halo and pretty much trace it back to those three games because it was just a boom, boom, boom right there around the mid '90s of me getting either exposure or playing one of these games that just enticed me that was they was each it, each were interesting each had different like aesthetics what's up Brian was it sad for you Josh when you went from Chex Quest to Master Chief and Master Chief was such a blank shell compared to all the character you had from Chex Man uh, we still had more personality than Chex Quest however the lore was easier to understand in Chex Quest you know you're just pretty much going to uh, I think I think you were going to war against like all the germs and shit so. what was the what was the boss of Chex Quest like diabetes or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Probably, but that that'd be that'd make a good boss. That would that would that would. Or maybe it was like the opposing cereal at the time, like the Trickster Rabbit, or yeah. you know. Well, Lucky I just Rabbit. it looked cartoony. It looked cool, and that was. I mean, it's a whole different topic altogether, man. But Chex Quest was neat just because it felt like someone who made yeah. this actually put effort in it and and gave a gave a shit. You know, whereas I'm it sure. was it wasn't just some like here's a here's a ring in the box or something like that like this is a fully fledged <laughs> game even though it's a clone of another game but people clearly worked on that but uh yeah i don't mean to get off hand but Chex quest takes me back i got a lot of love for that game nice. i don't I even eat the cereal I, I have my parents get the cereal just so i could play that Chex uh, quest wasn't on the bullet the bullets points uh, yeah believe it I'll, not. I'll that's great as well um okay. right before i mean we're in 1997 right now but before we start to getting into the console focus one game i want to point out that is easy to forget when we're talking about this genre is deer hunter the experience of sitting in a tree okay. stand and looking at a bunch of trees waiting for a little photograph of a deer to pop up and animate <laughs> <laughs> and then you click and you zoom in and it's a whole it looks like it was shot on a video camcorder of a deer walking around eating and you put a crosshair over it and when you click you're you're done you won um, Dude, I, it, was it was it was I think that was important because it made me pine for the outdoors in more first person shooters. Oh, yeah. You know, you're looking at all like, look how far I can see. You can't go walking into it as opposed to all these hallways, you know, at the time, like corridor shooters. It was very much a thing and it would continue to be a thing going forward, as we'll see. Um, but as early as this point, I'm starting to wish that in first person we could get hurry up and get to the oblivions of the world, you know. Yeah, no, I'm. That's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I I did play a lot of those early deer deer hunting games as a kid. I want to say I played the one that you you're talking about, but I there's so many of them. There was a sure, bunch. Yeah, it's hard to it, really keep them straight. A lot of fun though. A lot of fun. Back to you, Diente. One of the uh, one of the games I re- that now you bring that up. Remember playing was Deer Avenger. I think it came out much later. Deer That's Avenger. Deer. <laughs> like yeah, where you're the deer and you're hunting the hunters. <laughs> Just meet up with a bunch of dudes with buckshots, and you're just like, assemble the crew. Amen, brother. <laughs> Drinking, I want to like, see them make a movie on that today. Dew. Like, uh, Scarlett Johansson is Dear Avenger. <laughs> Bambi 4. Bambi's gone wild. Bambi's gone Bambi's wild. pissed. <laughs> oh, man. I, those all sound interesting to me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> But uh, I remember playing some of that right. stuff vaguely and uh, like the deer stuff. And I mean, I'd always feel bad and stuff, but like uh, I, those games were fun. And they remind me of that time when you sort of had like, although it's a little bit different, but I don't know if you guys remember games like Virtual Cop and, you, you know, just just gun light gun games and stuff like that. And there's this one famous video on YouTube. I can't remember the YouTuber. I think it's Jerma is his name or something. But like 
he's playing this one game where this it's a full motion video of a guy who's like tossing a bottle in the air and who's like, you know, you're supposed to try to shoot it in the air. And he's like, let's see how good your aim is, feller. And he tosses it up. And it's so hard because the sky's blue. The crosshair is like this faint blue. So it almost <laughs> is like transparent. And he can't hit it. And then it goes to this cutscene where he's like, oh, that's all right. Let's try another one. And he tosses it up. And he misses it. <laughs> and it goes, and, and like he misses it. So it's like, that's all right. Try another one. And he just keeps repeating this for like 10 fucking times. And you see the guy just progress. You hear him progressively like losing his shit. He's wheezing because it just, it's the guy's like, oh, that's all right. It's like, how many fucking bottles? do you got boy? I'm saying dude you're <laughs> never running out and then he, he hits one and he's like alright that's good let's see if we can go for another and then he misses it and he's like that's alright let's try another one he <laughs> just, I, I kind of miss those days of those FMV games but uh, yeah, they yeah, were bad but entertaining yeah <laughs> uh, what you got next on the list buddy uh, well so we're, we're in 1997 that's when the shift to console uh, like Corey was talking about begins uh, we get Turok we get Doom 64, we get GoldenEye, uh, all coming to N64. Who, you want to take this first, Corey? Yeah, I had a, let's see, I got an N64 for my birthday in April of 97. And right away, GoldenEye was on the radar. That was, I don't remember how I initially first heard of it. But I do remember Nintendo Power sending out these VHSs with like 10-minute little homemade, very low-budget ads for different games. And I got one for Star Fox where a guy in a Sony sweatshirt and a guy in a Sega sweatshirt kidnapped these two guys in Nintendo labs, like Nintendo <laughs> lab coats. Wow. And they tie them up and they're torturing them, trying to interrogate them to get information about the hot new thing coming to Nintendo 64. And turns out it's Star Fox and the Rumble Pack talking about how you can feel the game. That's I'll, so I'll never cool. Forget the, you can actually feel the game? <laughs> feel the game. Just over and over. And I watched that little ad over and over, stoking myself up for Star Fox 64. But at the very end of it, they had a sizzle reel of games coming. And Goldeneye had like a four-second clip. Wow. Where you see, first of all, the gun in the corner not centered right down the middle of the screen, which was a huge deal. Just like yeah. Turok had done kind of the same thing. Um, but unlike Turok, this was set in relatable human locations, right? Yeah. You could see like, oh, this is a facility that human beings would work in. This is not some sci-fi jungle full of dinosaurs mm -hmm. uh, or a space station or you know, medieval times with demons and stuff running around. The fact that it looked like a Hollywood movie, um, Man, I was stoked. And that was the first game I ever bought with my own money on release day. I got my mom to drive me to the mall, and we went to, uh, I guess, it later became EB Games, but at the time it was a Funko Land. Oh, wow. Okay. Man. Great. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, man. This These three games. Um, Turok is the one I have the least experience with. I remember going to friends' houses and seeing Turok be played, and I, I thought it was really cool, but... I never really got much of a chance to play it. I was kind of when I when I did play it, I was kind of confused because if you remember that game, like they had so much fog because it was you know such an older game, they had to use fog to make the game work. And I get lost and I die. But I thought Turok was cool. I never really got into it. Uh, Doom sixty four. It's so interesting. I got that when it came out, or well, not when it came out, but on the N sixty four, and um, was so disappointed with it because I'm like, this doesn't look like Doom one or Doom two. My character's face isn't at the bottom. I don't see this id software logo on the box. So, so I, I got very upset with it and ended up trading it in because I'm like, this isn't the Doom I know. 
Um, Goldeneye, I, I went over to friends' houses and played the multiplayer. I never owned it myself. I never, like, I don't have the attachment other people do, but I was there back when it was relevant playing the split screen and doing the different modes at, at parties and, and kids' houses and stuff, and it was a huge influence. And I think it's it's just interesting that, like, you look at these three games. I, I don't have as much, I would say Turok's probably the least, I don't know, I, I guess I have the least exposure to it, so maybe I'm just being biased, but, like, Turok's the one that has the least legacy or uh, influence. Um, and then you look at like doom 64, I think doom 64, it, it's probably the strongest game out of these three in 2023 because doom 64, well in 2023, give me a second, Corey, give me a second. Corey's looking at me like what, (laughs) um, doom 64 was a product of, you know, the prior generation. Doom 64 was just a, uh, it was a, it was a, it was an iteration of the Doom One and Two formula, the Doom clone formula that was taken forward. It was given like the highest detailed sprites of of any of the the Doom games. It was a, extremely fun. Now Doom sixty four is a game I love. I've, I've beat it several times, um, and it was a proper third entry into the Doom series. It's not called Doom Three, but it was uh, people from Doom and include are from id Software, including John Carmack, um, helped make Doom 64, and I think today, Doom 64 holds up better than the rest, because it is that old-style playing game, you don't, you don't look up and down, it just plays like Doom, it play, it holds up as well as Doom 1 and Doom 2 do, because it's that older-style game, now what I was getting to, before I <laughs> made Corey's eyes pop out of his head, is, uh, but it doesn't really matter that Doom 64, in my opinion, is the one that holds up the best today, because the only one of these three games that really has any deep legacy or, or, or widespread fondness for is GoldenEye. Like, GoldenEye is a game people still talk about today. It was kind of the peak of console shooting before, or of console shooters before Halo came along and pretty much put it to bed very quickly. Um, but uh, this was the game, like, Halo was the game that proved first-person shooters could, like, really, really work on a console, but GoldenEye was the first game where it was relevant and fun. Like, I think, you know, Halo's got to share a little bit with, I think Halo gets more credit, I, I think it should, but I think it's got to give a little bit of, like, GoldenEye was where people said, hey, you know, this is, I want more games like this, I want more first-person shooters on the console, so TLDR for me, Doom 64 is my favorite out of these three, I think it's the most uh, re- replayable today in 2023, but infinitesimally, uh, GoldenEye is the what most important mean? one. I th- I think infinitesimally just Warped means... by comparison, by, yeah. like... In sheer legacy, I totally agree with you about Goldeneye. Um, I would give a little more credit to Turok, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm really kind of biased on that because I don't have much exposure to it. But go ahead, tell yeah. us more about Turok, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I played Turok when it was still fairly new, p- before I played Goldeneye. It did have the problems with the fog, which would later go on to essentially establish the Silent Hill franchise, mm. uh, using that as a horror technique. But the shooting, the movement, almost carbon copied for Goldeneye from Turok. Okay. Doom, like you said, it was just another iteration. It was, it was basically a proper Doom 3, and it yep. was good for that, but I remember the past. on the 64, I didn't want sprites. I didn't want any of the Same. old stuff. I wanted to be blown away. Yep. Um, so I didn't buy Doom 64. I do remember renting it and being disappointed and not yep. going back to it for a long, long time. Um, but then, yeah, GoldenEye, like, like you said, Halo was when first-person shooters proved that they could really, really work on the console. But I think GoldenEye is when the entire industry in the world maybe took note and said first-person shooters can be successful on the console. Mm. Whether or not they work or not, there's clearly a market here, and people want to do this. You know, Rather than sitting 
at your PC, online gaming, in something like Counter-Strike eventually. But at the time, it's like people want to be in the living room around a TV having that sort of experience. And turns out first-person shooters are popular, and they're a way that you can achieve that. And it, it kind of blows my mind that Sony missed out on this because Sony was absolutely dominating this generation. It wasn't I just, even... I just don't think they had the hardware to be able to do it. True, which is powerful it, enough to do to render a golden eye. You're 100 percent right. Which it's so funny though, because I wonder how many people you'd aggravate online saying that because they'd be like, "Oh, the PlayStation One was stronger." Uh, it's it was. Really, it was. It was, so, it was technically speaking, it was definitively weaker, capable yeah. of pushing fewer bits per second. So, but it, it had it, other strengths. It, it, it definitely had strengths, like the audio quality being the first and foremost, um, which is a huge deal in gaming, and I think at and the time, video. And and video, of course, yeah, you could record stuff, throw it and on just a disc. flat out room on the disc, mm-hmm. or the ability to discs were so cheap you could have three disc games. So like you could have games that were far bigger with far more impressive video, far more impressive sound, uh, wider scope. You know there was there was more you could do with it in that sense. But the sixty four, like you said, sixty four bit versus thirty two bit, sixty four sheer rendering capacity. Yeah. It uh, wasn't capable of as much. And so you had these two kind of like competing evolutions for console technology and which strategy are you going to go down? We ended yeah. up eventually like I think the cartridge got ditched first, even though it's come back in its own way. None of that physical media really matters now. Yeah. But how do you develop towards one of these mediums? You know, Nintendo originally was going to have that 64 disc drive because yeah. they wanted that storage capacity. And Sony was the one who at the time was going to develop it. Uh, but that whole contract broke down they put out the playstation yeah but it's just it's just crazy to me that like you know the the ps1 i think it sold over 100 million units the n64 i don't believe ever hit 30 it was like 20 some so we're talking like a fourth for every one n64 you had four people on a ps1 yeah and a ps1 had ps1 had so much more so many more games the library as a whole was was much better on the n64 has some really strong games but we're talking we're talking like two dozen or less, probably far less than two dozen, where a PlayStation 1, it's like, oh, here's several dozen, maybe a hundred plus of uh, top-tier games, then several hundred more that are still good, if not great. Sure. Um, We had a lot of trashware, like what today would be kind of like WiiWare. Yeah. The Wii stores kind of... Because the PS1 was so... Because of the physical medium. It's so much easier to print a game on a disc as opposed to getting Nintendo licensing to make one of these cartridges. Yep. Yeah, but so it's just like PS1, I mean, Sony, nine times out of ten, were they made the better decisions. Obviously, they sold more. It was a better place to be as far as the, the culture was concerned at the time. But when it came to GoldenEye, it was like this amazing thing and this experience that you couldn't get anywhere else other than N64. Obviously, uh, Sega wasn't really competing in, in any significant way at the time, and then Xbox hadn't come along, and it was like, GoldenEye is this experience you have to get there. And the PlayStation One had shooters, but it just didn't matter. And they even technically had a dual analog stick after a little while, but it didn't compare to, to GoldenEye. You had like your your offshoot ports of Doom and Quake. Um, there's probably Alien, was Alien, Alien, yeah. You had the Medal of Honor. I know which people a lot of people love, um, but just none of it really had the relevance that GoldenEye did. And it's interesting that man, this would be such like a whole other podcast. But it's interesting how like <laughs> shooters shooters have just not been Sony's thing, right? Because like they, they didn't have a big one for the the PS One that like took over. PS Two comes out and they try stuff like Kill Zone for the PS Two. Nothing really there, you know. They have their third party games, 
you get to the PS3 and it seems evident that if you want to play shooters, you go to Xbox. You know, the Resistance was on there and, and Killzone, but, and I know Killzone had its moment, Killzone 2 especially, um, but really it was like 360 is where you want the shooters. And by the time you get to the PS4 and, and the Xbox um, just dropping the ball so hard with the Xbox One, you get into this situation that's finally come to a head now, literally now in this, this month, um, where Sony just kind of said, you know what, we're just going to rely on Call of Duty. You know, more people are playing our console and more people are playing Call of Duty on our console. Let's get the marketing. Let's money hat as much as we can of Call of Duty. Let's make that our first-person shooter. We're not going to try to compete. Resistance is done. Killzone's done. We're not going to try to compete with first-person shooters. We're gonna we're gonna go into our third-party first. Or, or, I'm sorry, first-party third-person games. Make those high-quality experiences, and then just let Call of Duty be our first-person shooter. And then like Halo's over here with like their own shooters and stuff, and. And, and and Sony's just relying on, you know, Call of Duty. And then we get to this, like I said, it came to a head now where it's like with the FTC Activision thing where it's like Microsoft acquires Activision. It's like, okay, Sony, you no longer can just rely on making a billion dollars a year from the residuals that come off of Call of Duty on your platform because you're now going to have to pay it to Microsoft. Maybe it's time you try to make a competent first-person shooter again. So I don't know. That, that's a long tangent, but I just think it's interesting how, like, for as amazing as Sony has done for their whole careers, the first-person shooters just always kind of been a, a thorn in their side. Or something. genre has eluded them. It's eluded them the whole time for sure. But um, yeah. But anyways, over to you guys. I kind of I went on for a long time there. I'll say I've never really played Turok. Uh, also, a great conversation uh, listening to you two. By the way, I, Corey, I had no idea about that shit with the talks with Sony and Nintendo that broke down and stuff. And mm-hmm. look, here comes the PlayStation. That there's com- actually. <laughs> The was it was a Digital Foundry or was it some other YouTuber a company that someone um, not they, long ago purchased a Sony got, Nintendo whatever one of those prototypes was of like yeah. the Sony disc drive for a Nintendo sixty four. Yeah, they're out. There's a couple. There's one or two out there, but yeah, it's yeah that that the whole reason that Sony like Nintendo's hubris is why Sony's dominated the market. I mean, they they should have you know played a little nicer maybe, uh, but but yeah, never played Turok. But then again, yeah. Um, uh, Doom 64, I've not played either, but I that's so cool, I think, you know, as I've gotten refreshed on a lot of Nintendo stuff. that it This was, is post-Jurassic Park, too, man. Yeah. You yeah, owe yourself. Go play some Turok. I know. I've played the 2007 version, which I've heard is not too good by comparison. Of no, the I, I never liked really any of the sequels, but the one that they reissued on, I think it's on like Xbox One and Series X, Mm-hmm. It's a reissue of that original 64 game, and it's definitely it's worth looking at, even as okay. just kind of like I do a, love my dinosaur. I heard I think it removes like the fog because it doesn't have the technical bit. problems, so it's bit. like a different vibe. But yeah, hmm. but it's still good. Uh, yeah, I, I love that time when uh, Nintendo games just had 64 slapped onto it. Um, it's just it's just interesting because I mean, as Brian's told me, it could have been like a Doom Three in its own right, but uh, didn't have the title and. Uh, just reminds me of how, like, I think it was there was a Madden game a couple years ago that was like celebrating 25 years, and they called it Madden 25. And it's like, well, now when you get to Madden 2025's game, what are you going to call that to avoid confusion? It just mm-hmm. it's it's hilarious to see a number. Well, when you get to Madden 2064, because there was Madden 64 on the Nintendo 64, what are you going to do then? How well? How are people I will be know six feet under. I won't have to worry about that. But uh, yeah, uh, but the the next one you have, yeah, you said Goldeneye. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because the only exposure I've had to this game itself, uh, I played with a couple friends in a bar, and uh, they had a 64 hooked up there, and um, 
we were trying all these different 64 games, and again, I hadn't really played a whole lot of them, and I was playing GoldenEye, and you know, the gun kind of moving around, the crosshair, the way it controlled felt so alien to me. And I played this, this was probably 2016, I think. And uh, I, I think I played a Sean Bean and I got my ass kicked. I mean, I felt like the equivalent of like those videos on YouTube of like a 70 year old person trying to own your grandma, Doom Eternal. Yeah, I really felt like I was out of my death uh, playing this game. They were absolutely steamrolling me, man. I sucked at that so much. But uh, I do know of its popularity. And I like that you put here in the notes, Diente, you said that. Uh, it was a licensed game that transcended the movie because that really was the case with this one. I think that also helped made more money than the movie. Yeah, which is, often. yeah. I think which, I, I looked up the sales for this. I, I want to say it was close to eight million, which was insane for an at Nintendo least movie. seven million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it won it was, all those NAFTA awards. Like, it, just not not necessarily for video games, but in terms of interactive software, it like swept awards across the globe. It's got a huge legacy. I mean, you don't hear. Like I, you don't hear a lot of people talk about, hey, I want to remaster or remake of this movie license game. Like I'll see that for some Lord of the Rings games, but it's usually for the longest time it's been Goldeneye up until now, pretty much until we got that on the Switch or whatever. And I mean, I remember that being a big day for you, Corey, if I'm not mistaken. When that oh yeah, coming. yeah, me and Dante were like counting down. We we were yeah. expecting it any day. Like when are they going to fucking announcement? We're going <laughs> to see the achievements. We know it's out there. We know it's coming. Yeah. They missed the anniversary. That they could have dropped it on the 25th anniversary. When are they going to do it? And then when was they that, did it, we just because well, you've watched some uh, Bond movies this year. I remember you talking about that. I think you were working mm-hmm. through them too. That's what I've been doing with my. Dad. I'm up to Octopussy right now. Octopussy. I think the, I'm trying to think of the last one I saw. I think it was Thunderball. No, I'm 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 in the Roger Moore films. I've got yeah. like a couple left, but yeah. Uh, did you when this game came out? Did any of you guys like? Were you guys already? interested in GoldenEye, or was it the game pulled you into the Bond universe? Was not interested in Bond whatsoever. Um, okay. He, he, his That brand of action movie, I was way more into like the Schwarzenegger shoot-em-ups, you know, oh, big-bodied yeah. American gladiators carrying machine guns that humans ought not be holding with their hands <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Sure. Um, and so it was, it was more like... I was definitely attracted to the game because it had more shooting than the average Bond movie does. A mm-hmm. uh, little less espionage, but also unlike these games where you're just trying to find a key card and advance like Doom, you had to like read objectives and pull out pieces of equipment and gadgets and use them. In the first level even, I was like confused how to progress. I couldn't beat the level and go on, and it's like, oh, because you didn't plant the bug underneath the satellite dish and it was like whoa man this is so cool yeah <laughs> it's not just straightforward yeah it's not yeah. just blasting enemies but, you don't right. do if you do that you won't succeed you'll have to replay the mission that is and then cool. uh, i mean the campaign was great but it was really that what really sold the copies was that four-player multiplayer and it, that's it, where the legacy was built really yeah and it's i mean so i you know you guys have heard me say it a million times like i i love local multiplayer more than an online multiplayer, but you, you usually can't set that up as, as easily. But like this was kind of, I mean, I know there was no online here in N64, but like this is kind of where you could see like the the video game industry saying, "Whoa, we really like this multiplayer thing going on. Like we want we want a lot this in more games. We want this expanded upon." And like, I mean, if it would have been a whole different conversation if Halo had come out. You know, because this was you said ninety. We say ninety seven was Goldeneye, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. ninety seven. Yes. So like, um, you know, we're we still got other games coming up, but like Halo's in four years away, and 
you can imagine if Halo had launched either without multiplayer, which we all know that it almost did, or if it had launched with multiplayer, but it was like no system link or only one or only two player, like they would have just not been the same at all. And, And GoldenEye having this four player support, which is so funny because like people are so obsessed today with all the little technical specs, but like if you played GoldenEye four player, the frames were like below 15. The yeah, whole time, it was rough a lot. It was, especially if you got out the grenade lunkers. Yeah, certain <laughs> certain weapons and certain actions. You're talking maybe seven, eight FPS, and everyone's gathered around with Doritos and soda and their four N64 controllers, and no one gives a shit, you know. Yeah. And uh, but nowadays it's like, oh, I was at sixty frames and it dropped to fifty two. No. <laughs> You know, it's like, man, would have been great to have that. But uh, yeah, it's like local multiplayer. Before then, it was something that you did for a little bit. Yeah, you didn't spend much time about Mario Kart. Like we would sit down, maybe do three or four races at a time, but then you'd go play other games or you take turns doing a single player game. But with Goldeneye, you'd just play all night. Ten hours, just boom, eight ten hours. It's, it's like your, your parents go upstairs and you've got the CD player and you're, you've got your three buddies and yeah, it's like you said, soda and you're passing Doritos around. Are you ready? Next thing you know, your parents are coming downstairs. Have you all been up all night? And you're like, what do you mean? Yeah, I thought it was like one o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I hear man. that pause. You know, I, I've heard that pause music. That shit's a freaking banger. It's a banger. Oh my god. Laps. Doom 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 doom. It just doom, like doom, oh. so good. And it it also like goes to show like how much an experience can catapult the product cuz and I'm I'm looking for pushback here. I think I might get pushback but like GoldenEye without the experience of like having that multiplayer on console. I mean, it's it's not really a 10 out of 10 game. I don't feel like, you know. Yes, it is. <laughs> you think it is, Corey? Yes, it absolutely <laughs> is. Okay. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think the, I think the whole I think product the campaign is, is is stellar, man. Like it does so many things that until then shooters did not even dream of, and we'll get yeah. into like some tactical shooters later. But without Goldeneye, no one is considering a tactical shooter because the the only thing that's proven itself in the market is these blast 'em ups. You know, more gore, more explosive, bigger sprites, what have you, three D limbs that go flying. Find the key card quicker because people just want more rockets to shoot shit with until this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the multiplayer was huge, but also that single player campaign, because people bought in to get a copy. I played this at my friend's birthday party and I've got to have one. You know, yeah. a lot of us had that experience. <laughs> Once you get a copy and you're sitting there at home without your friends, you play through the single player and it was a 10 out of 10 experience. I think I'm willing to admit I'm probably wrong on this one. I, I just think for me, as much as I enjoy GoldenEye, when I play through the the campaign, it doesn't seem to hold up to me the way that like dooms and and quakes do. So I, I I guess I would, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have given it a rough, a bad score, but I I guess I, I probably wouldn't have seen it in the 10 range, but I guarantee if you take a hundred people, way over 50 of them are going to agree with, with Corey on this one. So we'll say, we'll say it's just a damn good game. And that's all that matters. The classic for a reason, right? Like a lot of these. What about you, Dante? What do you think? Uh, well, it's Goldeneye. Yeah, like you said, I was exposed to it first with a multiplayer over at a buddy's house, and we stayed up all night playing it. And then it's one of those games, like exactly like you said, I have to get this. So I got a 64, got the, started the single-player campaign, and the challenges were awesome. Just uh, in general, the, being able to expand on the Goldeneye movie 
in such a positive way, like uh, and being able to do those drawn out missions and uh, go through the jungle and and go through the dam and and go through the facility. It was just awesome. So, the music in every level is awesome. Maybe not as good as the pause music, not every single one, but <laughs> no matter what mission you're in, except for the jungle, which you just hear crickets, but every single level has got a banger of a soundtrack. Um, when you when you beat it, you turn around, you increase the difficulty, you get new objectives. Every mission has objectives that stack as you do higher difficulty. And that's wow. the main thing that made it harder was figuring out, okay, well, on this one, I can't just run through this door. I have to find the computer terminal that opens it or hold the guy hostage to go unlock the door. Yeah. Whereas before Ooh. you could just shoot them and run by, and it's that's not. fun for replay value. A movie license game going that hard, man. Mm-hmm. Is it is it fair to say all of us at that age we weren't aware of like how like developers worked and publishers and stuff? Oh, of so, course. so for <laughs> for like the the follow well, the up the the 007 that came out on the N sixty four afterwards, everyone was, was disappointed. I mean, it was it. It's one of those things where I like. Wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I expected Goldeneye too, and I was let down. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're a kid at that time, which we all were, and you don't really know how developers and publishers work, it's like, okay, if I buy this next new 007, it will be as good or better because it's the second version of that. When it's like, that might as well have been uh, the checks game. It might as well have been... Uh, See, that, <laughs> Josh, like, it's like, a how bad dare thing, you? Brian. No, it might as well have been okay. To me, it might as well have been Turok. It might as well. What I'm trying to say is, it might as well have been a different IP. Not that it had to be bad, but like the next follow up to, to GoldenEye, it, it, it might as well have been a different IP because this wasn't the same developer, this wasn't the same publisher, and it wasn't the same experience at all. Third this game person, has wasn't it? It was first person. Was it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it followed. Yes, the world is not enough. Yeah, but. But there's no love, like, I, not to offend you, Deante, but there's no real widespread love for that game at all. Like, it doesn't even get talked about. Tomorrow Never Dies is the, one, is the one I'm looking at. Mm. Is that the one I'm talking about? or that, that was a play- no, you're talking about World is Not Enough. World is Not Enough, yeah. It was the I get cartridge. them all mixed up. I remember trying them out almost in, like, quick succession, found out. Oh, look at all these other Bond games that exist. Yeah. And just getting more and more frustrated the deeper I went. <laughs> I remember buying... For my Xbox, when I first got an Xbox original, I bought, was it Agent Under Fire, I think it was called? That's sounds... Uh, which, yeah, 007, I bought it because I'm like, well, GoldenEye, right? Like, I got it. And it was actually it was, it was actually pretty fun. I don't know what the reviews are for that a game. driving shooter? You, you could drive it. I know you drove your car in it, but it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was still of, like GoldenEye gameplay, but it, it, was, it wasn't the same developer. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Plus, this was a 007 that had came out after Halo. So, I mean, everything had changed yeah. at that point. It's kind of interesting, though, when you mentioned that Corey, like it got me thinking. Like I remember playing the Toy Story two license game, and I, I loved it. It's one of my favorites. And then when the Toy Story three game was going to come out, I wasn't still as privy to developers and who was working on what and stuff like that. So I had no idea the game was going to be different. And when I actually got it and played it, it was this like heartbreaking moment of like I expected Toy Story two. Point oh, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't get that. And uh, there's something to be said about that when someone hops into a franchise of a game and uh, or just a specific version, and you're like, I hope the rest are like this. Now I want to check out the rest, and you do, and yeah. nothing hits like that one does. I don't know if I feel happy or bad for the people with na- naivety, just like the the mainstream ignorance like, is con- bliss, baby. Consumers, because like, 
How many people watched Alien 1 and 2, loved them, watched 3, and they're like, oh, this one kind of sucks. To watch Alien 4, they're like, oh, this one kind of sucks. To watch it, they're just like, oh, these suck. And they don't know why. Like, I don't know if they would feel better or worse if they understood that, like, yo, this is different directors, different studios, different whatever. But, like, for me, it's, 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 I mean, it's a benefit for me. I'm like, oh, well, it sucked because it's not the same creatives. Behind I'm still of the opinion that the Alien films work better as horror. So that's why the first one's always going to be my favorite of those. First one's my they favorite. It's got a little bit more second action. One's, second one's really good. Pretty horror. It's just got a lot more action. More, a lot more action. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, it's but no, that's fair. It's scary. As if a, you were going to die, man. Alien <laughs> Bill scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Alien was scary, but Aliens was the one that gave That's me the one that got you. Oh, fair if you're enough. a fan fair of enough. Combat Evolved and you don't like the movie Aliens, I don't understand what kind of person you are. <laughs> or Contra, which was like side-scrolling aliens. Contra, yeah. yeah. But back sure. over to you, Diente, though. Uh, Diente, I was going to ask you, do you want to do... Oh, crap. Do you want to do uh, 1998, move forward on that, and then do you want to make this like a part series where we come back and do another so we can get through all this stuff? Yeah, we could do that. I mean, we're only in, as, in 1998. As we've been like, discussing like, so and in the first decade, I'm like, we should probably break this up a little. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's. You do have one more in 97. We need to talk yeah, about go, though. I do. Continue. I do. Yeah, finish 97. Let's do 98, and then I we will make this part one, and we'll come back to follow up with uh, 99 and onward. All right, that sounds like a plan. So Turok, um, like Corey said, is you can play it now on Xbox. It runs really smooth, not as much fog, and uh, I've been I. I think I got to the first three levels on it, but it's really fun. Oh, uh, nice. Doom 64, I haven't played since way back then. And I wasn't as impressed as a kid, but cause then GoldenEye came out. Give, Doom 64 lost. Give, give Doom 64 a try again. It's amazing. I love it. I, I got. I have it. I have the whole package. So we're going we're gonna to try that one out. And Hell yeah. For those that don't know, this year in uh, November is be Doom 1993's 30th anniversary. So I'm gonna play through all the Doom games this year. Mm, and, uh, very nice. Hopefully, we get some sort of announcement later this year. Real quick, Diente, what's um, your what's your least favorite <laughs> Doom game? Is it 64? Is it Doom three? Well, all right. So Doom three is kind of complicated. Um, but I probably Doom 64 just because I haven't had as much exposure to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Doom three, I played way back when it came out. We'll get back into it yeah. later on in the next episode. I'm a Doom three apologist too. Me too. Me too. I love Doom <laughs> three. And uh, I I went in and I played it. It was uh, on Xbox. I had the lights off. I was playing it, and I got this shit scared oh, out of me. And terrified. I, me. I, I, <laughs> and that was when that was the version where you could had to pull out your flashlight, yep. and then you had yep. to put it away to get your gun out. And so it There's was a like whole lot of no for me, <laughs> <laughs> And so Brian. so I ended up not like i played it and then i got scared and i turned the lights on and i played it some more but then i ended up playing other games yeah it wasn't i, I had fun it was awesome i just like oh i don't know if i'm ready it's for intense. that level it's yeah, 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 yeah. um but going back to play the bfg edition i was like hey why can't i have my flashlight at the same time and it wasn't the same experience so i have to go back through and play that knowing that now yeah um that you can turn your flashlight on whenever you want without putting your weapon away yep that was definitely a polarizing element to that game. Yeah. People hated having to whip out the <laughs> flashlight, put the gun away, etc. I got more I want to say about that, but I'll save it for when we get to yeah. the year. <laughs> We're talking in the future. Here. Uh, <laughs> all right. The, 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 the last game I have on the list for 1997 is Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Ooh, okay. Um, this one is the sequel to Dark Forces. Um, it used live-action cutscenes. <laughs> 
It uh, had really blocky, chunky graphics, but you start off as normal Kagaton, and then you get force powers. You get lightsabers, and you can make a couple decisions that affect the ending, whether you have a light ending or a dark ending. But um, it was just really fun. You could you could chop up so- so stormtroopers with the lightsaber. Um, you could use the the normal blasters and everything. It was such a great blend and i have very fond memories of this game so yeah i haven't played this one in particular but i've always had affinity for it because i've watched the cutscenes and they're so bad they're good like those are like just yeah. what i was talking about before those like 90s fmv cutscenes where they were live action with like blue screen backgrounds it reminds me of like anyone who's played mk mythology sub-zero and how those cutscenes looked they were horrid but they were fun because at the time that was the closest thing we had to like a live action movie of Mortal Kombat and this was like another live action look at Star Wars. I mean, you had a little bit of that as well in the at least the second Rebel Assault game I recall, but uh I thought the concept was always very very cool. You know, just you they basically giving you Han Solo and Kyle Katarn and then they're like, "Hey, let's blend them with Luke Skywalker and here comes Force Powers." And go. uh <laughs> and then it had an expansion, did it not? Where you play as Mara Jade. I think it was Mysteries of the Sith, I think, was the expansion for that. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. I, oh, man, I, can't, I played that one, too. I can't believe I forgot about that <laughs> No, one. that's good. But, uh, yeah, that game, it's always seemed really cool. It's, that's the kind of Star Wars game I'd, I'd really like to play, but I feel like it'd be hard for me to embrace fully now because I'd probably... It'd be fun to watch me stream and play it, and I'd be swearing a lot because I'd suck at it, but uh, I miss, that's about I it. I miss <laughs> those times when Star Wars canon wasn't taken so seriously and all those games existed. You know, like, I even me as, like, nowhere near as big a Star Wars fan as, as Josh or maybe all of you guys, uh, it was one of those things where I could, any system I had, I could just go, I feel like picking out a Star Wars game today. You know, I'm going to go to the store and pick out one. This one might be about uh, the Rogue Squadron and ships. This one might be a Jedi game. It might be a shooter. Uh, just, I miss those times. Now well, it's just all part of the reason serious. 90s Star Wars was fun because you knew that the you know once the the announcement of the prequels were coming, then people had something to look forward to. But until then, you had like the 90s kind of culminated in like the special editions re-release or coming out in like 97, I think. Uh, you had Dark Forces, like we just talked about, and this one. You had Shadows of the Empire coming out, which was had okay, that promoted. Rough, but I loved it. Yeah, I mean, and everything but the movie being the tagline for that, where there was the book, the comics, the toys, the video game, and just, you know, soundtrack even. Uh, it was just a really cool in-between moment of Star Wars. That was really when I got into Star Wars, was like that late, I'd say like mid-90s, pretty much, when all this stuff was coming out. And for me, getting into it, you know, as a kid, you're not really aware of the datedness of some things. You don't pay attention to statistics like, oh, this released in 1983 or something for Return of the Jedi. So as a kid, for me, it just seemed like Star Wars was this ongoing thing because I, I got into it and had all this new stuff coming out. And then we'd roll right into the prequels and been there ever since. So, But this was a, this was a cool game. It, it was cool to see them take it in a whole different direction with the Force powers and stuff. Very, very cool. You want to take us into 98, uh, Diente, if you're ready? Yeah, sure. Um, 1998, uh, this is another big year for shooters. Um, you have Half-Life. Um, you got the tactical shooters, Delta Force. Um, and I have it listed as the fir- one of the first tactical shooters. Corey's going to debate me about this. <laughs> yes, um, and of course, got- I'm going to debate you on this one here. And I'm going to win easily. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and then you got, then you got Tribes. And Unreal. So these are these are all big shooter names. Um, 
tribes not so much anymore but back in the day that was one of the multiplayer shooter like definitive multiplayer shooters you got that that classic dicks launcher and then you had jetpacks through to fly around on. Buddy, I thought you said classic dick launcher. I was like, is this a Duke Nukem type of game? No. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> See, ni- 98, 1998 has always been like my favorite year in gaming. It might change, but Ocarina. I mean, that's Ocarina of Time, Starcraft, Half Life. That for me was a, a, a big games. But like uh, most of the first person shooters you you listed there, uh, Diente, I don't have much experience with. I have a lot with Half Life 1, um, which. It makes me sad that because in '98 I was I was six years old in '98, so Half Life One completely uh, just passed me by because we didn't even have a PC. I don't think when I was six, maybe, and and it was just a PC only game. It did come to PS2 in a port, but we didn't have a PS2 either. Uh, plus, I just didn't know anything about the game. Um, but uh, Half Life One was revolutionary, obviously, as as everyone says, and I got to discover this way past its relevance. Right, like I think the the time I played Half Life One all the way through. The orange box had already released, so that tells you how late to the game I was. But um, Half Life One, it, it took the Quake engine, and I spoke on this earlier. Like the the Quake engine did so much for uh, games going forward, and it yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, that uh, but what Half Life did was it it kind of just it had a different mentality than I think anyone was expecting in the year of 90, 1998 for for a shooter because. You know, Quake and Doom, fast-paced shooters, you know, constant constant action, um, even, uh, I mean, GoldenEye being the year prior, I guess, you know, Half-Life 1 would have already been in development, but, like, you got to give GoldenEye some credit. And this, had this goes- a huge influence on them at Valve, and they've talked about how one of the biggest things was the AI, how the AI in GoldenEye was so good, the way they'd run around, yeah. the death animations, the way they interacted with each other. There's obviously some things that they could fix. But they were like, okay, now we have to delay Half Life to increase the AI because Golden Eyes is so good. Yeah, this is making me go like, man, Brian, maybe you are kind of dumb for saying that Golden Eyes is not a ten outside of its uh, its cultural <laughs> influence. Because 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 now thinking about it again, and I, I've thought this in the past, but I guess I just it completely uh, eluded me. I forgot about it. But you know what Half Life gets praised for, and what it did was it, it slowed everything down and it made the world have an atmosphere and and character and it gave you, I mean, the, the iconic opening of Half-Life 1 with you being on the tram and just seeing the daily goings of work and and it just, it gave it time for the story to, to breathe and what Half-Life ultimately did was, and, and GoldenEye had kind of already, that's why I'm saying, like maybe I should have gave it more credit, is with GoldenEye 1, or GoldenEye story, GoldenEye had let you live in this world and it have a story where it wasn't just this mindless shooter of blowing zombies, blowing demons apart, you you were actually going through missions. There was there was character. There was structure to it. And like Goldeneye did that in '97. And then I think Half Life probably gets more credit because uh, Goldeneye is usually people focus on the multiplayer more, which just like sure. I did. I think Half Life is more immersive too. It you is. Know? And Goldeneye, than, yeah. those those campaign levels are very short, or, or yeah. maybe not short in some cases, but they're very small spaces. Yeah. Half Life is just one continuous level. Yeah. And I don't remember any game. I, I would be hard pressed to remember any game outside of maybe like Zelda at the time yeah. that was doing anything like that. Yeah. So you, yeah, you had this one big continuous level, like, like Corey said, and it was very story. Like I say story heavy, but I mean, if you're a contemporary gamer today and you go back and play half-life one, you're gonna be like, Brian, you're smoking crack. It's not yeah, story. I don't heavy know at all. what's going on. If you yeah. by today's standards, right. <laughs> 
but back then it was like, wow, this is a first-person shooter that's really awesome for its shooting mechanics and, and the, the enemies and, and the level design, but also just like, I'm interested in this world and, and what's going on here and what's the background behind this. And it really just kind of made a uh, story in a first-person shooter. Like the way, the way that Goldeneye was like, oh, this shooters can be fun on console. Half-Life was like, oh, shooters can be uh, a immersive story-driven experience that you really care about what's going on besides just blowing things to smithereens. And then obviously I think we get kind of a perfect marriage of that when Combat Evolved comes around. Sure. I know I'm skipping ahead again. But uh, yeah, Half-Life 1, great game. It's actually my favorite Half-Life, which is a hot take for a lot of people because I know 2 is usually the favorite. Um, but uh, it, the thing I love about Half-Life is it does still have its roots. They're, they're kind of deep, but like the roots are still in the, the quakes and the nooms of the world. They just expanded upon it. So, And I even feel that a teeny bit with, as, as Corey already kind of mentioned, with Combat Evolved. Like, when I detect that hint of like little doom and quake like down at the roots of, of the product that really sings to me because I love where it came from. I love those games. And so I feel like Half-Life 2, obviously it's amazing. It did its own thing, but Half-Life 2 doesn't really feel, it's got the source engine and everything. It doesn't really feel anything like what Half-Life 1 feels like. It's a generation beyond. For sure. Um, but Half-Life 1, uh, great game all the way through. Definitely replayable. Still worth playing today. The Black Mesa, um, I'm going to say it's an official remaster because Valve sanctioned it. Fan made official remaster. Yeah, sold and, and that's so and cool. Sanctioned. So, um, or remake, like one. we should say remake, you know, how the, the, the language. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a remake. It's not a remaster. It's it's a full remake. It's it's a great game. But, um, yeah, I love Half Life. The rest of these games, I'll let the rest uh, of you guys who know about it, probably mostly going to be Diente and Corey, I have to imagine. I don't know much about Tribes or, or some of the other games you listed, but Half Life was really important. Um, over to you, Corey, I think I'd say. Yeah, uh, Delta Force, Tribes, and Unreal, all games that I kind of missed. I was more aware of Delta Force at the time as a direct competitor to the game that came before it, which is not on Diente's list, which is the original Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. Uh, that game it came one month before. was awesome. I played the hell out of that game. Um, and it's the first, like, it, it's a tactical shooter, but the gameplay is actually not super stellar. The thing I loved about it was pre-mission. The planning of the missions was so fun. To get your lineup, uh, you got to put Ding Chavez in there, which I found out years and years later it was short for Domingo Chavez. But me and my brother, it was all about, okay, he's going to have an MP5. He's going to have a shotgun. So since he has a shotgun, he has to be the X number guy through the door. So you've got to stack them up. And it was like, draw your little lines for your character, the order of actions that's going to unfold, and then you watch it unfold. And I almost played it more like a strategy game than a shooter. Mm, sounds like it. Um, and they've definitely, like, that series has completely abandoned most of those mechanics by now. Uh, but I wanted to bring up Rainbow Six because that's a, a fun game. And bless you, Ding Chavez. Love forever. <laughs> <laughs> Just call this episode Ding Chavez. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so do, do, do any of you, or Dante, do you have a lot of experience with tribes? That's one that kind of eludes me a bit. I have used eludes like four times in this episode. With, but. Uh, with tribes too. My, okay. my brother was really into that one, um, but it was fun. Uh, it was an uh, online multiplayer on the computer. I mean, we had dial up internet, but it was hectic. Uh, kind of like, that. <laughs> you know, taking quake and stemming directly from that. Whereas Half-Life is going, like, slowing things down, those games are multiplayer-focused and speeding things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will say, I mean, I have a little experience with Unreal. I mean, I've, I've, I've dabbled in the old ones. I played a lot of 
I've dabbled in the old one. Yeah, I've dabbled a little bit. Uh, Unreal Tournament and Unreal Championships have played those, but I mean, obviously Unreal, like, I mean, I'm I'm waiting to see if I get corrected on this one, but for me, I think the Unreal game's legacy is that they were kind of the testing grounds for what became the most iconic engine in the industry. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Yeah. because there's no ongoing Unreal Tournament Championship series. That's the, The name carries on, however, through that engine, which you see everywhere. And to my, I, I never hear anyone list Unreal games, like the actual games themselves, Unreal Tournament Championship, as in their top favorites. Like, I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but it, it seems that it's a series that, while good and, and plays its place in history and, and has the, the legacy of the engine, it feels like it's been surpassed in most every way by other IPs by at this point in time. I agree. No, it's probably like, like you're right, an exposition of the engine itself and, and what it's capable of. Yeah, I haven't. I played Unreal Championship too, and I played a little bit of Unreal, but the only one that stuck with me is Championship. So it's a fun like. I mean, like I would have a blast. Like if you guys are all over at my house and just like hook up an Xbox original, throw an Unreal Championship four controllers, and just run around madness, just like getting cool guns and killing each other. It's got a real fun like local co op kind of multiplayer to it. I just think that uh, there's so many options for that nowadays. It's just not really the top tier of anymore. But but hey, I mean. If you could, if if you could ask anyone if they'd rather be the owner of successful Unreal games or the owner of the engine, I think most people take the engine because I mean that's to have the most prominent, most versatile engine in the industry in 2023 when gaming is becoming the largest medium out there. Uh, it probably feels pretty good to be Epic right now, and that's not even considering the fact that they also own Fortnite, <laughs> biggest money generating thing since oil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, Anything more to say about night? Or Josh? I guess we didn't really get. No, to I'm sorry. Uh, if Do you have any else. experience, Josh, with 98, any of these games for first shooter? So uh, I know uh, Unreal, but I've never played that. Um, Tribes, I've never. I'm not as familiarized familiarized with Delta Farce. Just made me think of the movie Delta Farce. Delta Farce. Yeah, Delta Farce. yeah boy. <laughs> uh, Half Life. You know, I've played and beaten Half-Life 2, but I think I'm just one of those people that I have nothing in the world against the Half-Life franchise, but it's kind of like the joke about the Inception movies. I just don't get it. Like, there's just a, a part of it that just doesn't... Something like, about those games that just does not grab me, and I just hasn't... It can't fair. get its hooks in me. And I can tell that they're good. I I can see why uh, they're revolutionary and why they mean a lot to people. Uh, but, yeah, it's just they've never... Half I mean, playing and beating through Half Life Two fully was that kind of realization that like I'm just not. I don't think even playing any like Half Life One or Half Life Alex. I don't think there's going to be any. If I'm not into it now, I don't think I'm ever going to really. If you beat Half Life Two and it didn't grab you, then it's it's probably just not for you. Yeah, I was the same way where I played Half Life One back in the day and was not grabbed by. For maybe you'd call it like a lack of spectacle. Mm-hmm. Because it is so grounded, because you're just riding a tram, it was not what you expect. Um, and and I played it after playing Combat Evolved. So going to it from that, there's obviously a different set of expectations that sure. you take into when you're trying to be blown away by something that a lot of people are calling the best shooter ever made. Yeah. Uh, and even when I played Half-Life 2, it was in direct competition with Halo 2 in my mind, like for my mind share and sure. pieces of my heart, you know. And I remember at the time, like, this just doesn't grab me at no point through. And I probably played like the first half of Half Life 2 on PC, and it was like nothing has clicked, nothing has grabbed me, nothing has said officially 
the game is now going. You're in it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm still kind of waiting for it. Yeah. But then when the Orange Box Two came out, I had a different experience, and it all well, just kind of happened. Now I think even and not to take away from the just general quality and legacy of those games, but I think even Valve to some degree would 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 say that what really makes the Half Life games so iconic and so uh, instrumental is that they introduced tech at the time that was unseen, you know, like the half-life Two, the gravity gun, the physics. physics yeah. Um, that's st- and, and even now again with, uh, the VR or half-life Alex, you know, that they released like for them, half-life has always been this conduit for new, you know, advancements in technology and gaming. Almost like the unreal games, like the unreal games. Yeah. So I, I think if, you know, half-life is something you've come back to long, long after they've released, um, the the most the biggest takeaway in a sense from them, which is the technology or, or how they're pushing the industry forward, is kind of lost on you because you've already seen it in many games to follow. I mean, like like I played, I, I love Half Life One, but like I played it after Combat Evolved, and like I can I can see Combat Evolved's like focus on the story and, and and what it's trying to tell in the campaign and the atmosphere, and I can trace it back to Half Life. I'm like Half Life did this first and many would probably argue better. I mean, I don't think better, but like many probably would argue better. And, um, but for me, it was like, I'd already seen that in combat evolve, but we're talking about three years prior half-life did this, you know, I, I did want to mention, uh, before we get out of here though, that there was another game that, uh, I mean, it's, it's a first person shooter in a sense, but it's also a survival game. I wanted to mention Jurassic park trespasser. This released in 1998. Oh, didn't that and game bomb? And like, this really is an infamous dude? game. And the story yeah. behind it is Seamus Blackley who came to work at Xbox and helped yeah. conceive it. He was behind this game and it had all the hype in the world behind it. It was acting in at the time as a direct sequel to the lost world. It had mini driver in there voicing the protagonist. It had uh, Richard Attenborough back as John Hammond. Uh, and this game just was supposed to be revolutionary with its physics and your survival type horror with uh, locating guns and, that type of stuff and it bombed it tanked it was incomplete uh incomplete it was broken and shit the bed and for shame i mean you guys can hear the story i think in the power on documentary for xbox on youtube i think they talk i think they talk about it in the first episode but uh it's a fascinating game as a jurassic park fan especially i mean i've always wanted to play this but i never have but it's very janky. Uh, it's a little sexist for sure because just to see your health, like there's no heads-up display for those who haven't played it. To see your health, you have to look down on the left titty, and there's a there's a heart tattoo, if I'm not mistaken, that wow. is the indicator of the health. But um, but it was cool for the lore, you know, and what it was adding to the game, just because you have Richard Attenborough in there, and uh, just to play in an actual environment that for the time felt open for so many people. But to have it bomb, uh, just kill. It just would have been an interesting conversation to me. That's that's the what if kind of game where I think had it been successful, would have been interesting to see the trajectory of what the the impact of that could have been. License but, uh, games in general is yeah, exactly yeah. But um, build as the direct sequel to the 1997 film The Lost World Jurassic Park, and it had the involvement of the film's director Steven Spielberg, Richard Attenborough, and Mini Driver. Mm-hmm. It makes me so sad because this is at a time where the 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 costs of development hadn't ballooned so so high that you could take bigger chances and you could release all these type of projects and it wouldn't take like back then you could put out 
a couple games that were like one might have been a dud, one might just barely made profit, and still your studio was open and you could work on a third. Today it's like, all right, go all in. If you screw up once, you're dead. You're I mean, this is this is interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at some of its wiki stuff, but uh, this is relevant. It says, despite its failures, Trespassers generally recognizes the first game to incorporate a full physics engine. Gabe Newell cited Trespasser as influential to Half-Life 2's physics, though its failure caused him and the rest of Valve to worry about the potential for negative comparisons between the two. But, yeah, I mean, this was a pivotal game in time, and it's like, if if Seamus Blackley had never got that chance, I mean, it just makes you think, how many, how many times has someone really tried something and failed, but they actually really had something there, but they didn't get a second shot, but Seamus Blackley did, and he got to help make Xbox what it is, but uh, Trespasser, I, I loved that time, I loved the late 90s and Lost World, and like, I, even though I love Japanese Godzilla, but uh, I, I loved the Godzilla, the American-made movie, and it just, everything was in this green tone, people wearing mm. black leather pants in the late 90s, and it was just a thing, and uh, I get really nostalgic for that era, so I'm a bit biased about a game I've never played, but uh, there's something. I don't think we put enough focus on the in the industry on on how much mind share is what builds the games we're getting today right like everything is iterative like not only not only are big successful games that were, that we know are influential like GoldenEye or, or Half-Life or whatever not only do those act as like stepping stones and like cultural mind share for new developers to take that technology further and build upon it but even failures like Trespasser, like oh look what this game did. Like this game, like I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have an opinion on Trespasser, but let's say people could look at Trespasser and be like, okay, this game's a mess. This game sucks, but this thing they had right here, that was brilliance. Let's take that nugget out and let's apply it to this, and then let's build upon it. And how many times does that like the industry carry that stuff forward? It's not just the game industry, but like you know, there's there's so much credit that's due to what's come before, and uh, I think that makes games like Trespasser. Uh, important or, or, or at least worth talking about, even if they're not like on our top favorite list, you know. So yeah, I mean, it was supposed to revolutionize a lot of physics and stuff. It's kind of like how you see Tears of the Kingdom, where people are building giant dicks and stuff, and all the just this different stuff you could do in the game. But like that was essentially a, a base concept in Trespasser of just you heard it how you first can... Tears of the Kingdom paved the way with giant dicks. It did, man. I mean, if you Jurassic can make a Park dick in Trespasser, paved the way for Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> if you can make giant it, penises. if you can build a dick, someone's going to do it. Someone will shoot it in a wall on a Halo map. Someone will build it and <laughs> forge with assault rifles. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that's just a thing, man. But I, no, I mean that was that was the cool concept of that time. I think for it being a first-person shooter in a sense, but then you had this physics-based uh, engine attached to it, to where you were going to be able to sort of solve problems the way you wanted to, and and reward players for that sense of agency which I really like and when you have some of that and then you go play games that don't have that like Jedi Survivor didn't really give me a lot of agency and that was like hard because I, I couldn't solve something how I wanted to solve it um, but I had to do it the way the game designed for me and it, it was like giving me the illusion that I'm smart because I solved it their way and I didn't really like that but um, I probably would have hated Trespasser as a kid because I just needed those straightforward games but uh, yeah. pretty cool to see pretty cool to see. Diente, do you want to uh, take us out, maybe give us a, a I'll finish, I'll, I mean, I'll take us out completely, but like, do you want to give us a sizzle maybe for 1999 for the next episode? Um, well, yeah, let me, let me cover my yeah, 1998. Yeah, I wasn't sure, I thought, I, um, I thought you covered it, or I, I thought to myself first, I was like, didn't he say something <laughs> about tribes and all that already, but I couldn't remember if you, if you were done or not, so go ahead, I apologize. Oh, no, I was, I, Half-Life, like you said, it's one of my favorite, it's my favorite of this, of the two. Um, I played it. I don't know if it was the year it came out, but I played it and I I beat it 
and that for a big that was a big deal at the time because as a computer game yeah um dark forces kind of kicked my butt at the time um but half-life i i stuck through it and um it was really cool you had the my one of my favorite weapons was the mp5 with the grenade launcher i mean how, like that that's a submachine gun with a grenade launcher yeah. it's really <laughs> you don't see that again until half-life 2 but um they ended up porting it over to ps2 in 2001 yep. And uh, they changed the graphics. They updated them, and that MP5 became an M16, like just a assault rifle with a grenade launcher. Not the same. Um, so they changed a little bit on that. And then one of the legacies from that was Opposing Force, which is an expansion um, that came the next year. And that, if you watch, I'll ask you guys to watch the opening cutscene for that. It's not really a cutscene. It's you're riding in a helicopter. But if that doesn't remind you of... Um, Halo and the ride on the Pelican mm. to uh, to the I think the library. Um, it's it's just it's got that dialogue and it's really really fun. Hmm. Yeah. And then Delta Force. I didn't cover that one very much, but that's a t- another tactical shooter, a little bit different than Rainbow Six because you can see your gun. Um, you can't see any reload animations, but um, I remember I got a. I used to be big PC gamer uh, subscriber uh, on the magazine and everything. And you used to get the demo discs. And uh, I got the demo for Delta Force. And I went ran home and played it because it had you know guns in it. It was a first-person shooter. And uh, you could only play the first level. So I must have played that first level like a hundred times. <laughs> and uh, then then I finally saved up and got the original game. And it, would, it wouldn't run on the computer. So, <laughs> so I ended up just playing the, the, fir- the first level over and over again. But uh, it was... It's a tactical shooter. You choose your loadout um, before you go in, and you you, you just do mission based objectives. I'm looking at gameplay now Jeff. of it, and this looks really cool, actually. <laughs> Man, I remember being a kid and buying like like we bought Doom Three for our, our Windows 2000 computer that didn't have a graphics card, and like the the Doom Three box said that you had to have a better computer, but I was like, I'll just buy it and download it, and make my computer run it anyways. And then it wouldn't run it, and Works I'm just for me like, on Doom One. <laughs> true, true. But like, it'll it just run. It's just not going to run the way I want it to. Mine could not run Doom Three. It literally could not even start the game, and I was as like, it starts trying to render light. It's just, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> no, the, the thing that we're asking for doesn't exist here. Like, you can't. I'm, you're trying to serve me like buttered toast without the bread. Like, it's not possible. So literal silly. Think of that double line, Brian. Yeah. Oh, this is actually not uh, next up. On the next episode, we're going to start in 1999 in uh, 2000, kind of blend those years together, um, and we'll go over the infamous sequel to GoldenEye, The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> World Enough. Okay, yeah. Interested to hear. I'll have to look up make sure I know what developer. I think it was EA that published it. Look up the developer because it was not rare, obviously. And you're going to be getting to this, I know, next week, uh, Diente, but Rare went on to do Perfect Dark, which many argue is the better than GoldenEye. The actual sequel to GoldenEye. The actual sol- <laughs> sequel to GoldenEye. Funny how... You know, it was their own IP, and and many at least reviewers said it was much better than GoldenEye. But it doesn't. Perfect Dark does not have the legacy of GoldenEye. Also, Perfect Dark Zero did and not. We help. will talk about why. Yeah, we'll talk about why. So, guys, uh, this was a really fun this episode was a blast, talking about man. one of our favorite genres, um, Diente's favorite genre by bar none. Um, but uh, we got mostly through the '90s here. We're going to come back with a part two. There might be a part three. I don't know. It depends on how uh, how far this goes. But uh, we love per- first-person shooters here. I mean, Halo is what brought us together. So 
this is a great you never time. know where the discussion's going to take you. I, lo- I love the list you put together. And again, I love the notes you have for this, man. It's really fun. Yeah, dude. It's comprehensive as heck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we, we thank you guys. We had a great time, and we hope you all enjoyed listening. And thank you for being here on this episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. And as always, keep it sacred. Sacred. <laughs>